Welcome everybody once again to and we're joined by everyone's favourite excitement machine. Sad Mallory. Now explain why you're sad. Because I want to watch a Christmas movie and put up the Christmas tree. <laughs> you want to put up the Christmas tree but we've also only got like 18 days to watch 10 movies. If you want to... Christmas! Well, you can watch it on one of the other days, can't you? Christmas! How has your week been? <coughs> Have you recovered from the opening of Kmart last week? <coughs> Are you going to actually answer me legitimately <coughs> correctly? Can you answer the question, please? How have you... <coughs> How have you recovered from the opening of Kmart? Pretty good. And how many times have we been this week? Only twice, isn't it? Four. Four? Three. Where were these other times that we didn't go? I'm not talking about last Friday. I'm talking about just this week in general. We're going to go last night, but we didn't. Three. Which was... There's banging going on outside. That's that's normal. Uh, what have you bought from Kmart this week? That's with the part where Bras, you... Bras. Yes. And underwear. And you got some glue sticks. I did. And I got some wrapping paper. Uh, did you get a dancing Santa Claus that does, <laughs> no. you know, which we got last night, which was, well, no, we didn't, sorry, Louisa and that got it, which is pretty exciting. But it's now less than three weeks till we leave, which means it's about three weeks to Christmas. I actually, in this all getting ready to leave thing, I kind of forget that it's Christmas the following Yep. <laughs> now, you bought me a present today, didn't you? Yep. I, I want to know what it is. Is it something from Kathmandu? Nope. Oh, it isn't. Is it something from the warehouse? Nope. Is it something from EB? Nope. Is it something from the internet? Nope. Is it something from... Nope. I, I, nope. I don't know what it is. Um, will I like it? Yep. Are you sure? Yep. Is it something I've said I wanted in the past before? E- nope. <laughs> Do I know what it is? If I thought yes. hard enough? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, a Baby Yoda. No. No. Did we talk oh, about... Oh, I we should talk, have looked for a Baby Yoda. We talked about Baby Yoda already on the show, didn't we? I, I feel know. we talked about it on the on the Better Mouth Variety Hour, but um, yeah, cool. Uh, we measured ourselves tonight. You've lost uh, 15 centimetres in six months. Good job. Go me. Go you. I've lost 21 centimetres in six months. Go you. Thank you. Yes, go me. Uh, and we're going to put the tree up tonight, which is always an exciting Christmas experience. Time. I Christmas time. Christmas time. We're going to talk a little bit about that very shortly, I think, in another bit. But um, let's hear some more stuff from the show, because this one here is about as exciting as a fart in an elevator right now. It is Days of Our Pies time, where we play classic Days of Our Pies, because that's what we like to do. We're into episode six of season two. And without further ado, we're going to play it for you. Previously, on Days of Our Pies... Frank! Floyd! Get the hell out of here! It's a bomb! Stay down, man. I will save you all. Sure, man. But before we do, Floyd, your moustache, it's been blown off, man. Eh, uh, um, yeah. Oh, God, that's not good. Oh, my gosh! It's, it's you, George! Ah, uh, Jennifer. Yes, I am. Like pastry in the oven, these are the days of our pies. I'm Lisa Jones, and these are the days of our pies. 
Episode 5 certainly brought its fair share of shocks and surprises, none more so than the revealing of Floyd Griman to be really that of George Pyman, Jennifer Cakeman's long-presumed dead ex-husband. Roy, Billy, Frank, Jennifer, and even Usain Bolt all stood in shock as George slowly explained his story. You have to understand that you all thought I was dead, gone, six feet under, and Jennifer, you moved on so quickly that I couldn't come back into your life so soon, and so sorry all of you for deceiving you. That's okay, George. I'm just so glad that you, my best friend, are still alive. And I'm so sorry that I have married your wife. It's to be understood, Frank, and she really is a fine individual, and I always knew you loved her. Wow, George. This is amazing. And to think this whole time, all that obscured your face was that weird moustache that we all thought was normal. Yes, well, I'm glad it worked. Jennifer? Ah, Jennifer? Jennifer, say something. Ah, I, I don't know what to say. I thought you were dead. I, I, I can't do this. Jennifer runs away with Frank going after her. George starts crying and is consoled by Billy. Okay, George, it's okay. <laughs> I just... I just didn't want to upset her. No, no, man. It's all good. Just get over it, my man, and you'll be fine. Now let's go and get some nuggets to stop the third bomb. George, Billy, Roy and Usain all go to investigate and stop the third bomb, while Duna and Sheetcover return back to their store, where they are surprised to see their daughter, Bed, still not home. Oh, where, oh, where is that daughter of ours? We told her to be home and not to be too late. Well, what do you expect, honey? She wasn't exactly that thrilled to be moving here. I think we need to just give her some time to get used to living here. I know, but it's still no excuse for being late. I think we should just go looking for her. Let's just leave her be, my dear. Let's just leave her be. As Duna sings yet again, his daughter, Bed, is in a park on a bench waiting to meet someone. Oh. My God! Like, where the hell is, like, the person I meant to, like, meet? Just then, the person Bed is there to meet shows up. It's Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger's personal secretary, Hugh Jars. Oh, my God! I was totally, like, thinking you weren't, like, gonna, like, show up. Many apologies. I had to get away from the situation. The second bomb has gone off. I, like, totally know. I was, like, totally the one who, like, set it off. I had to, like, run out there, like, totally fast, though. It was, like, totally amazing. Well, as long as it's done, we just need the other two to go off as planned, and then the Prime Minister will close down this godforsaken town for good. Oh, my God! You, like, totally don't need to remind me, like, every, like, five, like, minutes. Does Schwarzenegger, like, know, like, this is happening? No, he is totally unaware, and it will remain that way. Right now, we just need to make sure the third bomb goes off without a hitch, without that bolt guy stopping us. Are your parents suspicious yet? Like, totally not yet. They still, like, totally don't know if I, like, work for ASIO and drug them to, like, totally force them into, like, moving here. They, like, totally don't, like, know I like it here, and, like, what I really, like, think is, like, die, like, one of those blasts, and they, like, totally don't know, like, that I had to run away with you to, like, New Zealand. Good, and it will remain that way, my dear. As Hugh and Bed kiss and discuss their despicable plan, Usain, Billy, Roy and George have arrived at the town's hospital, which has been successfully rebuilt after being destroyed by a bomb last season. This is where the next bomb is set to go off, man. Who do you know that? Usain Bolt. And if you do, why can't we just stop it now? I know, man, because I'm so fast and smart, man. I just know. And the JBI is the best place in the world to discover bombs, man. I can't stop it now. 
until I get some more nuggets, man. Well, let's go and get some more then. All four of them go to get some nuggets, just as Hugh and Bed arrive nearby. Okay, Bed, this is it. Prepare to make the hospital rubble. I need to get back to the Prime Minister. Oh, my God. Like, I totally know. Get, like, out of here now. Hugh drives back to the Prime Minister as Bed gets out of the car with a bag of fertilizer and puts on her pink hoodie and goes towards the hospital. Meanwhile, Jennifer and Frank have reconciled and are sitting on a bench outside the hospital. Oh, Frank, thank you for making me feel better. I think I need to go find George and talk things over with him. That's a good idea, Jennifer. I can see them over there at that nugget shop. Just as Frank and Jennifer go to get up, the sound of glass breaking is heard, and bed cover runs from the hospital with her face covered up by her pink hoodie, to which Frank notices her. Oh my gosh! That's the same girl from the gym! I must go after her! Frank starts to run after bed, leaving Jennifer by herself. George, meanwhile, notices her standing outside and leaves the nugget shop. Ah, Jennifer, there you are! We must talk! <laughs> The hospital explodes in a massive fireball, engulfing everything nearby and sending debris crashing into the nugget shop and knocking everyone over. Oh my god! Jennifer! Oh, Jennifer, no! Has Jennifer survived yet another hospital bombing? Will Frank catch bedsheet and stop the final bombing? Will Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger suspect that Hugh Jars is bad? And can the sheets save their daughter? Find out next week on Days of Up High. I don't know why I get overly dramatic at the end of it. Always exciting times. We've only got one more of them to play for 2019. So uh, that will be happening next week. Get yourself a little bit excited about that. Earlier on I said I want to talk about Christmas trees putting up. I Actually, one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Black Friday. Now, this is a, a big deal in the States. The day after Thanksgiving. Tell me, is Black Friday a thing in Canada? Yes. What What are your experiences with Black Friday? Like, what do they generally do in Canada? I don't know if I've ever shopped on a Black Friday. Really? Yep. Do you, do is it a common thing for people to cross the border and go down to the states and Black Friday and shop? Not that I know. It's. Do you find it weird that over here is like it's a big deal, like Black Friday? I find it weird that it's Black Friday weekend. I I find it weird because. Black Friday has a purpose, I feel, in America, because Thanksgiving's obviously a very, thanks for that, a very big, she's letting rip, it's great. Uh, Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is obviously a very big deal, and then you've kind of then got, what, like four weeks, basically, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So, I get it, you know, because that's the start of shopping season, let's get to it. But, you know, as a North American, I'm sure that in Canada you have a lot of things that America does. And you follow suit a lot of the time in America. But do you find it weird that on this side of the world, where it seems that... And I feel it's more of a New Zealand thing than an Australian thing. I don't... Black Friday was not a thing in Australia. So, why do you think people on this side of the world tend to copy and kind of just do it? Because it's just there? Or? Because you want to be Americanized. But but why, though? Like, what do you think it is about it? Sales are good for business. Yeah, but like, you know, you can have a sale at any point. You don't need to just jump on a trend in America. As I said, there's a reason. So, you're really giving me some good input here, aren't you? Yes, fantastic. Uh, Christmas trees, putting up. Tell me some good stories about when you were a kid putting up your Christmas tree. I was telling you the other day about making popcorn garlands and you were making fun of me. Well, explain to us what this is and why so you, you do it. So, you pop the popcorn and then you sit on this couch and you sew it together until it makes a garland and then you put it on the Christmas tree and it's pretty. But but why? Why popcorn? I don't know. But like surely this has a meaning behind it or? 
Okay, really so you just know. just do this because of reasons, or uh, what? What other fun stories do you have around putting up a Christmas tree? Was this always a big deal? Like, when did you generally do it? Like now. But like, was it the first of the month, or like? Whenever we were all free. Okay. Um, how's your day been? Good. Any other answers you want to give me? I'm learning about pop. pop. <laughs> It's like, it's like extracting blood from a stone here, Missy. I'm trying to get some content here for the episode, and you're just drawing blanks for me. When Christmas trees first rose to prominence in the U.S., they were often decorated with fruits and other items. For this, a tradition of stringing popcorn and cranberries into a garland that wrapped around the tree was born. These trees were called paradise trees in reference to where Adam and Eve met. Okay, so it's a religious thing. Apparently. I don't know. It was just something we always did. I don't think, like, it was just something we did. Did you all come together as a family? Did you put on music? Did you make a deal out of it? A deal? Like a big deal. Yeah? Yeah. Did you have, like, traditions? Like, you know, it was always... Making popcorn garlands and putting it on the fire? If you let me finish the question, like, did you each have a role? Like, did somebody put the star on? Was somebody the lights person? Was somebody, you know... No. So we had that. We always fought over who got to put the angel on top. So yours was an angel, not a star. So we always, had, we always I, had a star. I've only ever had a star since I've met you. So last Christmas. One Christmas. Yep. Basically. Did you not put a tree up in Adelaide with your family that you were staying with there? I think they had an angel as well. Right. Did you put their tree up with them or? Yeah. Yeah. And I had my own baby one in my room too. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, and did I ask you, have I asked you previously what you generally do at Christmas? What you used to do growing up? Uh, we would have breakfast. Mm-hmm. We always had Christmas breakfast at home. Mom would make big breakfast with cinnamon buns, and we'd have like this potato hash brown casserole thing. Oh, so good! And we had to have breakfast before we were allowed to open our presents. But Jared and I would always try to sneak into the living room to see our presents. Did yeah. you have like a rule? Like, did you could you close the door so you couldn't see them? Because we had sliding doors in ours. We didn't have doors into our living room. See, mum and that used to make it that like we had these sliding doors, and then we were told that if we opened the doors early before everyone was ready, they would all disappear because Santa would come and take them away. <laughs> That's awful. That's what would happen. Um, and then would you have a dinner or a lunch, or would you go to dinner. somebody's family's house? Or? Normally, dinner was at Emma and Papa's, but then when. My mom's parents moved closer. We would, like, alternate years where we went for Christmas. So one year we'd stay in Victoria and the next year we'd go to Kelowna. And what was, in your opinion, better? Neither. Neither was better. They were both wonderful. They were both wonderful. And did it ever snow in Victoria on Christmas Day? Did you ever have a white Christmas? I'm sure we had a white Christmas at least once. At least once? I don't know. Is that, like, the ultimate thing, though, for... No. Why not? Like, that's what it should be, right? No? I guess. Like, but, like, Christmas is always, like, dark and, like, Christmassy. Like, it feels like Christmas. Whereas here, like, because it's light out for so long, I'm like, it doesn't feel like Christmas. Like, it's not It's not cold. It's not dark. It's not Christmas time. But th- this is where I've only ever experienced one Christmas outside of Tasmania. That was last year here. And I've never experienced Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere. So, to me... Next year, when I experience a Christmas in your part of the world, it's going to be incredibly weird for me because, to me, Christmas is hot. Christmas is summer. That's what Christmas is to an Australian. So, that's where I'm going to find it weird next year. And that's why I hope it will snow because that's what I would want to experience is a white Christmas. So, then when you actually listen to that song, it's got a legitimate meaning, right? 
Yes. Can you sing me the song? No. Can you sing me the hippopotamus song? No. You usually want to sing the hippopotamus song. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. I appreciate that you know it well enough to sing it now. Only a hippopotamus running over grandma will do. Isn't that what it is? No. Okay. Um, how Vancouver doing? Better than you. That that is true. Are you are you excited for that prospect? Yes. Yes. Or are you only going to really care when the playoffs come around? Correct. And then you're really going to care. Can you name me one Vancouver Canucks player? That's not a retired player. That was one of the Sedins. The Sedins? Oh, have they retired? I, I don't, don't know. Oh. I don't know any Canucks players. I'm just saying if you know any. No. Um, I think there's one called I M Loser, um, and I think there's another one called W R Suck. Um, no. All right. Just give me a look. What else is happening? Come on, give me some content. Talk about something. What's happened? How's Baby Yoda doing? How was the episode of Mandalorian this week? Did you enjoy it? This is why we have quizzes in this part of the show, folks. Um, how how was The Mandalorian? Yeah, good. Did you like this week's episode? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What was your favourite Baby Yoda bit this week? Was it drinking the coffee, playing with the things on the ship? Well, it was a coffee. It was a, a soup. Um, you just watched it literally <laughs> half an hour ago. I wasn't paying that much attention. You never fucking do. Um, probably... When he was playing with the little fishies. No, 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 no. It was when he ate the froggy, but he spat the froggy out because all the kids were sad. Okay, cool. All right. I'm glad that he's leaving now and he doesn't have to stay, like, leave Baby Yoda behind because that would make me sad. Porgs or Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda. Is that even a question? Poor, poor Porgs. Porgs are getting lost now. I, I love the Porgs. They're so cute, little Porgs. And little Anyway. Um, there better be porgs in The Rise of Skywalker. Two and a half weeks now to The Rise of Skywalker. Two and a half freaking weeks. Like, this is exciting. This is exciting. And we should get our first No Time to Die trailer this week. So, you know, the level of excitement right now in the fandom of Benjamin Waterworth is doing well. Uh, let's go on to the next segment. We'll come back and wrap things up with Miss Excitement Machine next. It's always exciting to talk Canadian with an actual Canadian who actually cares to show up and talk properly each week. Sorry, Mallory. Uh, Colin Hilding's back. Hello, Colin. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and I had to do a lot less to get on the show than she did. Uh, <laughs> a lot I put less. in my time, she put in more. <laughs> yeah, she has to do extra things that you don't. So, um, you know. <laughs> oh, just... thank God for that. Whoa. <laughs> but at least you, you are excited each fortnight to yeah. show up. Well, um, that's <laughs> technically because I don't have to do those things. <laughs> yeah. Technically, but you do anyway. Um, <laughs> it's an exciting week for Winnipeg because... Long-term listeners uh, might remember back uh, about a year ago, maybe so, more so viewers from uh, The Brink Unleashed 10, I think it was, um, that we we visited the home of the mighty Winnipeg Blue Bombers and went to an open day and had some fun there. And, of course, they compete in Canada's uh, CFL, the Canadian Football League, which is similar to the NFL, but it's Canadian football versus American football. Slight differences. Anyway, you have the big Grey Cup, which is Canada's Super Bowl. And what happened with the Grey Cup this year, Colin? What what an iconic moment it was for your city. Yeah, the longest drought in the CFL was ended when my hometown team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the complete underdogs, won the Grey Cup in uh, something that I think has caused a bigger reaction not just in winnipeg but across canada than i really expected um and i think it's it's also there's a couple things are weird first of all the cfl i mean it is 
the same sport as you see in the NFL. And typically, Canadian products of American things like television or even some sports like some other minor leagues, they don't do as well. But for whatever reason, even though the NFL is huge here, you know, you see merchandise everywhere, the Super Bowl, huge ratings. They'll play. Uh, there was even a preseason game the Green Bay Packers had in the Bomber Stadium this year. Uh, the CFL's always been like a huge draw here. Like they'll fill, you know, 40,000 seats per games for only nine teams playing. It's not a huge league, but it's just nine teams, and it's always been a big deal. But I think different from like the the Toronto Maple Leafs, which are on you know fifty years uh, for a drought for the Stanley Cup, because there's so many teams i mean you're going to have a longer drought i don't think it really clicked with anybody how long the bombers 29 year drought was because there is only nine teams so like when i had heard oh the bombers are in the great cup and if they win it'll end the longest drought ever i'm like but i remember like the first great cup i remember watching as a kid was 29 years ago and i remember seeing it so it never felt like a long time to me but it's become such a big deal that the bombers won that normally you would think like just the hometown team would be celebrating but like the next day national news was like you know this is such a big deal and i think part of that had to do with the story like the uh the actual story of how the bombers got there is honestly dramatic enough they could have made a movie about it which but it's like it's been huge i don't you knew about this i don't know if mallory follows it or just popped up on newsfeed but like how did you find out about the great cup because you messaged me i think that same night yeah, well, I basically, because I, I think I followed the Blue Bombers on social media after we went to uh, that open day, and I think the only teams I follow were the Stampeders and the Blue Bombers. And the Stampeders won it last year, didn't they? So I was kind mm. of, you know... But I just it had randomly popped up. Something had popped up about um, them in the Grey Cup, and I'm like, oh, that can't be true. They suck, don't they? So I then I think I quickly, mm. like looked up on Wikipedia the season and then I saw that that was the case and I read a little bit about it and I think, what, Hamilton and Winnipeg were the only two teams this millennium that haven't won it uh, or something like that. So, yeah, so that's kind of when I messaged you because I I had to have a double-take pigeon almost and be like, hang on a minute, like, I'll message Colin. Is is this true? Like, have I just misread this or something? So I was kind of like, okay, cool. They they made the Grey Cup and then they ultimately... I was sitting in my office when the Grey Cup was on and actually refreshing the live scores. I was kind of into it going, oh, I wonder if Winnipeg are going to win here. I was kind of invested in it. The build-up to it was really interesting too because, like, again, we have nine teams in the CFL, um... And the playoffs, the way the playoffs work is that there's the East Division and the West Division. And the East Division only has four teams. The West Division has five. But the leader of the division automatically goes to the semifinals. And then the second and third place teams of that division will play in a quarterfinal to meet the, the division leader. So in the East Coast, you basically only have one team that doesn't make the playoffs. In the West Coast, you have two teams that don't make the playoffs. So even in bad seasons, the Bombers have made the playoffs before. You know, we... we I think the big shock was that we got past Calgary in the first or the quarterfinal game. Um, and because Calgary, I think, went three straight years or maybe four straight years to the Grey Cup and they lost over and over again. Last year was like the surprise, oh, Calgary finally won this because they were always like the league leader and then they somehow lose in the Grey Cup. It was like this big shock. Like, Whoa, familiar. we just beat Calgary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it became like a, a thing where suddenly, even though it's not unusual to, oh, we're in the playoffs, everybody's like, whoa, we beat Calgary. No, we, we just have to beat Saskatchewan next week. And, of course, the big rivalry, because we're neighboring provinces, is Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Uh, and in the Saskatchewan game, it was like Bombers had this huge lead. And 
like in the last couple of minutes of the game, Saskatchewan got like dangerously close. It was one of the closest football games I've ever seen. Dangerously close to winning, but the Bombers won. But they still went in as the underdogs because I think they um, they had there's only a handful of times where uh, a third place team has actually managed to to win the Grey Cup. So we knew we were the underdogs because Hamilton had won 15 of their 18 games this season, and the Bombers had almost a losing record. Uh, but in the game, like the, the, it, I, I thought it was just a Winnipeg thing where everybody got so excited because we're in the Grey Cup, but. Every other city, you know, you were seeing people say, oh, Winnipeg, you know, they, they could win this. And it became like people got behind this huge underdog story. And part of it was just, like I said, we have this very dramatic story that I don't think anybody really appreciated until you saw that there could be a happy ending to it. Uh, the way our season started is I think we had like five wins in a row. Like we went five and oh with our big star quarterback. And then our star quarterback was out with an injury. The backup quarterback we had last year played his first game that he became the first um, player to ever come out of college, or at least in within 50 years, the first CFL player to literally be playing his first pro game and be a starting quarterback. But then he started sucking. So we went from the like un- undefeated team for the first third of the season to losing something like five games in a row after that. But it was this huge losing streak with the, our backup quarterback, who's very young, only like 24 years old. And then he got taken out with an injury. And we had our third string quarterback that they actually had traded. So with one game left in the season, the trade deadline, Winnipeg made a trade for um, the, this new quarterback. Um, I can't remember his name right now. I should, but I can't. Um, and Roger. this guy, has his name's Roger. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but this guy had been bounced around for three teams this year and not played one game. So I think he started the season with Hamilton or something like that, or he had played for Hamilton in the past. He was then on Saskatchewan or something like that, and then was traded to the Bombers with one game left in the year. So this basically third-string quarterback hadn't played a single game all year. This was his third. He became the first CFL player ever to play three on three teams in one season, hmm. and he now has to bail us out in the last game of the season, which he won, got us into the playoffs. Then he wins two games in a row in the playoffs and gets us to the great cup. And then he wins us the great cup. And this was the guy that nobody wanted Th- two teams traded him without playing him throughout the season. Incredible story. And, uh, you know, to top it off, even on top of that, you know, we're, we're the losing team, you know, we are the underdog to get there. And then we just destroy Hamilton in the game. Like it was never close. And the star player, um, he's a guy named Andrew Harris, who's from Winnipeg, which makes it all the more unusual because the CFL is, I would say, majority made up of you know american players who didn't make the nfl draft so you go undrafted in the nfl and the cfl says well we'll pick you up and this guy andrew harris is actually from winnipeg so he goes on to win the you know the mvp and also they have an award for the canadian player of the year because it's just a given the mvp is not going to be canadian he becomes the first canadian to win the canadian player of the year and the mvp and he's from the hometown and he gave this incredible interview and it's just Literally, it just became like this could not have played out better. It's like watching Miracle or Cool Runnings or something like that. I have to ask quickly before I ask about the reception of it. Uh, I did love your, you shared your screenshot of a conversation you had with Jamie where Jamie's like, <laughs> oh, can we have a great cup party? And you was like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you end up having something? <laughs> well, yeah, she sent me a text message. I'll just set up. She sent me a text message at work like the Monday after, you know, we won the semifinal game. So we know we're going to the great cup. And her message was like, 
can we please have a great cup party at our house? Like with everything. And I, I literally was at work and I just respond. No, <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't want people coming over the house. And then she's like, no, I don't mean with people or anything. I mean, just with us. And it's like, we could have food and snacks. Basically I just want an excuse to have a bunch of food. <laughs> and I didn't say yes or no to that on the Sunday during the game. She literally just started making all this food and had all these snacks and everything. It's like, Oh, this is our great cup party. I'm like, Oh, Interesting. You you got the great cup party together for two people. <laughs> I tried so, talking yes, to Mallory about up. that, about like, you know, he's like, is this a thing? Do Canadians do this? And Mallory's like, yeah, I've been to a couple. And I'm like, oh, did you watch the game? And she's like, nope. Um, and Mallory's yeah, exactly. all on to me, like, because I, I don't know if I have a firm team. Like, I like the Stampeders because I generally like Calgary teams. I feel connected to the Blue Bombers because I've had that experience there. But then Mallory's all like, oh, you should be going for the BC Lions. And I'm like, yeah. why? She's like, oh, because I'm from there. And I'm like, you don't even go for them. Like, I, she's like, oh, what if they were in the Grey Cup? Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to switch to the Canucks just because I'm marrying you. Like, I have a brain. I want to go yeah. for a team that wins. And I want to go for Calgary. They just have racist coaches. But I, I have to say that, um, like, I, I watched some of the footage of the parade, like, through the uh, oh. Instagram account. Now... I obviously loved the parade for the Raptors when they won the NBA championship. It was fantastic. Millions and millions of people in the street of Toronto. I realise you don't have millions and millions of people in Winnipeg. But I have to say that the crowd looked a little bit thin on some parts of the... Was that due to the weather? Or is this just that people don't really care about the CFL? Like, I'm sure if this was the Jets, you would be packed to the rafters. But I don't know. Like, Did I see the wrong footage? No, well, I think two th- maybe it is partly the wrong footage. I mean, the parade went for quite a while, and because it was in downtown Winnipeg, which is a very odd layout, it's a lot of one-way streets, it wasn't like it was just a parade down our main street. Like our Santa Claus parade, it's just a parade down a main street. So they, they drew a map up that day, uh, which was, I think, the Tuesday. So it was like two days after we had won. Uh, so it wasn't like there was a lot of planning in it and everything. And it was like, okay, you're going to go here, you're going to turn left for two blocks, and you're going to turn right. And then you're going to go straight and then you're going to go back the way you came. Like it was all over the place. So, I mean, there, there were a lot of people there, but it like the routes that were closed down were sort of all over the place. So I don't think you had anybody in one spot or another, but the, the big crowd was actually at the forks, which is, mm. you know, kind of at the end of our downtown district, which is like a big marketplace and park and We've everything. Been there. It's like park. <laughs> they, they, we have. Yeah. And that's where they ended it. So they sort of started it downtown and the parade ended there. And that's where the big crowd eventually was. Did you uh, go? They actually can. I didn't I was at work that day so I couldn't go but they like they had jets flying overhead and there were people at work saying you know oh, I'm gonna go outside because they they timed it was like a 130 so I can watch the jets flying overhead uh and they had a second thing which was at our convention center which was like an indoor celebration with all the players and everything uh last night and I'm seeing a lot of people I know who went to that and it's just it's literally just a giant convention floor and it's not like you go and you stand there like the the one that we went to, which was at the the stadium, you know, the, their celebration family fun day or whatever. You know, they had the players behind a table signing autographs. This is literally just like you're there and th- there's players and you walk up to one and they're, you know, eating something. They're having a drink and you're just like, hey, how's it going? You know, so I know a lot of people who went to that one who are posting pictures now, but it's become like a week long celebration. Uh, and I think the thing that's most impressive about this is we are a very cheap city. I mean, I would put the cheapness of Winnipeg up there with any other city in the world. And anytime, like when the Jets would have their big parties downtown, you know, Jets fans would get be excited about it. But then everybody else would be like, well, this is such a waste of taxpayers' money. They held this parade without actually knowing where the money was coming from. 
the bombers said, we're doing this no matter what. And then as it was happening, the city said, we're going to pitch in a third of the cost and we would encourage the province to pitch in a third of the cost. And the province says, yeah, we think this is a good idea. We'll, so we'll cover it. But they actually held the parade before anybody actually gave money to it. And I really haven't heard anybody saying, no, this is a waste of money. Like people got excited when the Jets were in the playoffs, but the actual excitement of winning this, like there are people saying, I've waited my whole life to see this. And again, I'm old enough that I can remember them winning the last time, like 29 years ago. But then I, I don't even realize that there are people who maybe were only a year too old at that point, or maybe were born after that. We're like, this is the first time a championship has ever come to the city. So, I mean, this celebration is probably going to keep going for weeks. I, I, one thing I'll quickly add is um, I, because I like to see media reaction to certain things, how things are going. Like I, I went to a lot of Canadian websites when the Raptors won the championship and, you know, it was all blanketed coverage. I went to, I think, like CBC after the Grey Cup. It was like the 10th story down. Even the Winnipeg Sun, I think, had like the fourth story down. Oh, we won the Grey Cup. Um, yeah. But then like in the days after, you know, the Winnipeg Sun looked like it was a bit blanketed. I love there was an editorial uh, written by somebody, I don't know, Mr. Winnipeg, Roger Winnipeg. Um, but <laughs> oh, like, him. Uh, He's my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, your famous journalist, the one in your city. Yeah. Um, I, like, I just love this negative almost take, like the way he worded it. He basically is like, Winnipeg was overdue. Um, you know, the Blue Bombers were too, but bringing this home to Winnipeg means so much for, for players. And then he goes on to say, Winnipeg was under siege. Murders were on track to outpace the city's worst year in 2011 uh, yeah. when there were 41 <laughs> homicides. And then it's like, violence in Winnipeg seemed out of control. There were thought to be petty crimes turning into major incidents. Shoplifting turned into swarming thefts at liquor stores. Sometimes those turned <laughs> yeah. ugly, as did recently when a liquor store employee was attacked during a robbery and injured badly enough to be hospitalized. Like, it's like, That's guess a- what, Winnipeg? We're a hellhole, but we just won the Grey Cup. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's a real thing. Like the liquor store robberies, that's been the big story, you know, for weeks because that one incident was like, I think like the sixth or seventh time it's happened. It's just we nobody knows is this like people who are coordinating this where they're just going in and robbing liquor stores. But it's gotten to the point where they like we got to add security guards and now they're like well, we got to have a secure entrance where people are searched before they come in here. But wow. th- that sort of it, it peaked with the one where. Uh, there was a video of uh, the 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 cashier behind the counter getting punched in the face, you know, and beaten up by this guy. But that's been like it, it really is a sad year for Winnipeg, like because our our murders are probably going to top the record, and we have this you know rash of liquor store robberies, and it, this is sort of like the only ray of hope. <laughs> and like even last night, there's you know Black Friday has only recently sort of become a thing, you know, in Canada just as a way to compete because everybody was just leaving and driving to. The states to, to buy stuff and you would think like polite canadians there's a video i just saw online this morning from you know a, a, a mall that's you know not too far from my or there's a pizza place we ate at that's literally around mm. the corner from there and it's like four or five people getting in a fist fight in the middle of the mall over black friday stuff and I'm like well, we're polite you know, our license plates say friendly manitoba like what happened to this province we need the bombers they better win next year or we're all going to be dead it's all because the Jets are just choked, right? Like, it's just... Exactly, know? yeah. The Jets didn't live up to their potential! Um, it's, I'm glad you br- briefly explained that about Black Friday because, I, you know, it was like drawing blood from a stone, as I said earlier on this episode, from Mallory trying to answer that question. So, anyway, um, the other yeah. the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which I'd love to know how much it made the news in Canada because you've had a bloody good year in tennis, Canada. You made the final mm. of the Davis Cup and they've changed the Davis Cup now. It's co- kind of all played in a week-long thing. I don't think many tennis fans are a fan of it, but you beat Australia, I believe, in either the quarter or the semi-final, and then you made it to the final where you got swept by Spain, but still, yeah. like, 
this is a thing. Canada, all of a sudden, you, you've won a Grand Slam now. Uh, now you're making the finals of the Davis Cup. What's happening in Canadian tennis? We need to thank Jeannie. Eugenie may suck now, but yeah. she kicked this off a few years ago, right? She did. Like, I don't think tennis was ever really a thing here in Canada before she made the Wimbledon finals. And again, lost. But like Canada watched that, and it became a victory. And the same thing happened. Uh, I can't remember if it was Wimbledon or uh, w- which Grand Slam it was where Milos Ronic made it to the it finals too. Yeah, yeah, Wimbledon. So we had we've had like two finals and everything, and there's such a huge surge in interest in tennis because of that. And you know, there's a lot of media coverage. I mean, Jeannie Bouchard, you know, got national promotions like uh, like endorsement deals that lasted for years, even when she was sucking, just because of this. And same thing with Ronic. I'm sure he's selling a lot of sleeves uh, right now, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, this past year when uh, Bianca or whatever, when she when she won like the first actual Grand Slam win, like that was such major news. And I think just the timing of the Davis Cup thing, it, it was sort of a headline, but like, okay, and another news, the Great Cup, you know, and it, it, it sort of just became a passing thing. And I, I think that's the first time where the loss, maybe because we had a win earlier this year, the loss, it was still treated like I thought we won when I was reading the headlines because that was a way, you know, oh, we made the finals or whatever. But there hasn't really been a follow-up on that the way there was for, you know, uh, the, the previous, like, Grand Slam finals that we lost in. So I don't know if now the bar's been set where it's like, we make a finals, we better win. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of a step down. And it was sort of just mentioned, you know, the day that it happened and then nothing really since then. Finally, always got to bring up the NHL. Uh, I think yours and my team, or one of my teams at least, We've lost coaches. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Calgary for different reasons. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I believe Toronto, you, you also sacked your coach. And uh, now yeah. all of a sudden you've got another coach, but not quite living up to where you thought you would be this year. Well, I, okay. So Mike Babcock, who must have been like the highest paid coach in the NHL. I mean, he, he coached Canada in the Olympics. And the deal he signed when he came to Toronto was like, this is this is unheard of. Like, this is the biggest deal ever. I think he still had two years left on his deal. And then they just fired him now it was coming off of six straight losses and a season where they had really struggled to when they did win it was always like an overtime or shootouts so the writing was sort of on the wall but you know it was the fact that they promoted this this coach Sheldon Keith from the Toronto Marlies their minor league team who had never really coached in a major you know uh promotion but yet he took the Toronto Marlies to win the Calder Cup which is like their Stanley Cup last year so he had had proven success but it was just weird because like this guy, he's younger than some of the players on the team. Like, I think he's only 37 or 38. But then wow. he came in and the Leafs, like the first couple games he's had with him, I think they only suffered their first loss since they've had him last night or, or the other day. But like, he's been winning 6-1, to one, like 5-1. to one. Like, it's just been these blowouts with them. So that tends to always happen every time you change coaches, if, especially if there's a coach where it, I think the thing with Mike Babcock is just the team stopped following him. And it, it wasn't necessarily a... I 100% believe Mike Babcock going to end up being the first head coach for Seattle when they get introduced. Like, why wouldn't you pick up this guy's the the hottest commodity in hockey, even if he is coming off of six straight losses or whatever? But they've got this new coach, which I was very hesitant about because I, I I'm a big Mike Babcock fan, and they're starting to win. I'm like, okay, I can get behind this guy. The Calgary thing, on the other hand, I mean, it's just <laughs> uh, it's just sad. Like, I I think. You know, I, I don't know, like, the whole story, like, did he, he did apologize for this, and he did. it's just sort of becoming, it's different from the Don Cherry thing, where Don Cherry sort of apologized, but then didn't own up to what he actually said. You know, this is one of these situations where a person said something dumb in the past, it was brought up, it was an inappropriate thing, 
But then he's just fired, even though he's saying, yeah, you know what? I was immature. I, I, I didn't mean it. It was said in the heat of the moment, but I'm sorry about it. And then like, well, we're just going to let you go. Like, I, it's, it, we're just reaching that point where you can't have said anything 10 years ago, you know, and, and not have it held against you for the rest of your life. And it's the frustration I have is like, we're seeing this in sports, which is built on berating people. And maybe you shouldn't be saying racially insensitive things, but it, it's like, are you going to get to the point where in the military, they can't yell at you? You know, like this is a hard sport. You're supposed to be a little bit mean and I'm not defending what he said or anything, but it, it was a one-time incident that he is apologetic for. And what is the point of trying to change culture and, you know, say like, oh, we need people to change their racist opinions and change their sexist opinions and change their bigotry and stuff like this. What's the point of telling people they have to change when you're going to say, even if you did change and you said you're sorry, we're going to make you lose your job because of it in your life? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I mean, in all fairness, though, we weren't actually doing that well this year. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's going to become a Babcock situation. You're like, oh, it actually worked out for the better. Compared to where we were meant to be, I mean, if you were to say right now that there would be a, a team from Alberta doing well and you said it was Edmonton, I don't think yeah. anyone would have believed that <laughs> three months ago. But um, I'm also seeing mm-hmm. here, uh, we mentioned briefly with Mallory before that she said Vancouver are doing well. Well, they're starting to fall down a little bit, the Canucks. They started off well, but they're not exactly uh, holding on to that. But Canada's hopes right now look like it really is lying with Edmonton. And yeah. uh, also Winnipeg seemed to have picked up their uh, game a little bit too. So everyone else, what's what's happening in Canada? All the other teams have just fallen off the bandwagon right now. Yeah, I think we're still at a point where, you know, I mean, especially with Winnipeg and Toronto, there's they, they could still sneak in there. Like, we're early enough in the season that there's hope, especially if they can turn things around. Um, but, like, Edmonton, I mean, it was a couple of years ago when Edmonton, well, a couple of years ago, it was in more than a decade, when Edmonton made the Stanley Cup Finals, and we're like, how great would it be if Edmonton was the team to dig us out of this? Like, I honestly just believe Canada's at the point where, as long as it's not Vancouver, we're going to rally behind whatever team it is. And let's be honest, it's not going to be Vancouver. I mean, come on, Colin. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, at least the Raptors are doing well. This is the thing they're still doing. Like, uh, I just love the fact that uh, everything I've said, it's like Kawhi wasn't our whole team. Like, we were still a good team without Kawhi, and we're proving that. Um, and another thing, too, that I wanted to add, just on the whole topic of teams doing well and everything, Toronto FC won the Eastern Conference in the MLS, lost to Seattle, but... Uh, Seattle's my second team in the MLS. I don't even know if you follow the MLS. Probably I, not. But. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it kind of makes me feel ashamed in a way that I get some Canadian news from uh, an Australian living in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the MLS is huge there, but you know, Toronto did make the uh, the the championship game. They lost to Seattle, but uh, they weren't they weren't expected to make it. I think they ended up knocking off. Uh, Atlanta, who have only been in it for about two years and have just absolutely dominated the league, essentially. So they upset Atlanta in the Eastern Conference final. And then, yeah, the, uh, Seattle and Toronto have a bit of a rivalry because I think in all three finals Toronto have made it to in the last four years, they've all been against Seattle. So they lost the first one to Seattle and they beat Seattle to win their first championship and now they lost to Seattle again. So I like the Sounders. They've got a cool... I like Seattle in general. So anyway. It's it's um, it's destiny then that Mike Babcock will leave Toronto yes. for Seattle. Now we know what's yes. going to happen. Are they going to be called the Kraken? Do you think they're going to be the Kraken? Because they're <laughs> announcing that name in a few months, I think. I, I really hope not. Like, I mean, a Kraken, that's a cool animal, but I don't want to be going, let's go Kraken. Let's Like, it just, <laughs> it sounds weird. Too close to crack. Too many other visuals that go along with that. <laughs> Giant bum crack is their logo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
cracks. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> the cracks. Uh, so it's a pleasure. I think we'll uh, no doubt talk to you in 2020 unless, I don't know, Canada does something in the next week or so. Probably not, yeah. but um, always a pleasure. And yes, if you do. Yes, all these murders going on. And uh, let's go Blue Bombers. I, and I eagerly anticipate my calendar finally for Christmas. <laughs> classic interview and this is one actually I'm very surprised we haven't played already this is one of our big ones that we were very proud we got Max Walker sadly no longer with us Sam had a bit of an obsession with Max he used to do a pretty mean impersonation of him we managed to get him and not only did we manage to get him we got him in person I was unable to do the interview because I had to uh, fly into state for work at that point so I believe this was Josh and Sam we got the day with Max Walker himself hung out with him and interviewed him. Let's hear a bit of that now. It is The Brink on Edge Radio 99.3, and joining us is a very, very special guest. His name is Max Walker. And, uh, Max, thank you very, very much uh, for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, Welcome to the show. Great to be on The Brink, so to speak. (laughs) Indeed it is. And, well, Max, I guess we might as well start from the beginning. Uh, You were born and raised in Tasmania. Uh, but eventually moved to uh, Victoria to pursue your uh, VFL, as it was then, football career. Uh, do you still consider yourself to be a Tasmanian? And if so, is it important to you uh, to to be a Tasmanian? Yeah, always a Tasmanian. Never, never take um, the, the Tasmanian out of the boy, even though I'm a quite shy, unassuming guy. Once you get to 29 or my age... You, get a bit of white hair and um, and the world looks a little different but that's a, a beautiful perspective you know, when Tasmania was a, a wonderful place to grow up I got a lot of fond memories of, of going to school at Friends a, a Quaker school and then growing up in the backyard of what was then the Empire Hotel corner of Burnett and Elizabeth Street and now it's a really flash one, Republic, gosh um, yes. how different yeah, you know, can a hotel get just a beer drinking hotel to now the cappuccino machines, the beer garden, and I guess um, they'll mix you up any drink you like. In fact, I I launched my last book there, Caps, Hats and Helmets, from the front bar of the, oh, em- the Empire Hotel. Yes, yes. And you went to school with my uncle, uh, who, Uncle Duck. Yeah, Ducky Martin. Um, uncle Duck was a, an opening batter. Dower opening batter, good leg glance, pushed the odd one through the covers and um, <laughs> didn't have quite enough bottom hand for the slog through mid-wicket and um, used to occasionally nick the a little outie through to the keeper and um, come off the ground shaking his head or his tail feathers, whatever way you want to look at it. <laughs> so an average opening batsman then? No, real good ordinary player. Oh. No, better than that. <laughs> I've been doing a little bit of research on, on your cricket career and one of the things I found, which I actually... I got a bit of a giggle from us. Your nickname, your Tangles. What's your view on that? Do you like that nickname? Well, it could be Ducky. Um, <laughs> I guess the nickname. I, I got lucky, uh, I suppose, when the nicknames were, were coming out. A lot of people ask the question, how did you win a name like that? Actually, it was before my first Sheffield Shield match. The Sun newspaper in Melbourne had a half-page photograph of me from the kneecaps down with the legs crossed at the point of delivery and a little inset 25mm square headshot. So the kneecaps and, and the ankles and the, and the cricket boots were more important than the face, I guess. Melbourne's tangle-footed bowler about to play first shield match 
then that uh, became uh, tangle foot and then then tangles but r- bowl right arm over left ear roll legs crossed at the point of delivery very 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 difficult to be good looking and pretty on your feet but but Josh you and I know a biomechanically perfect mate That's um, exactly right. who broke down the guys with a good action Dennis Hill he had a crook back didn't he look at me fine specimen of a man now <laughs> <laughs> See, my dad used to play first grade cricket in New South Wales and now I look at him and he's got a bit of a bit of a gut on him and he's got a bad back so We'll see, yeah. see what happens to those who, who do it perfectly or the ones who do it their own way. Yeah, well, I think I've spent a lifetime reinventing myself and um, and being unordinary and, and a little different. And, uh, yeah, that's not such a bad thing today when we're trying to stand out or, as Seth Godin might say, go purple cow. But to me, um, yeah, you've got to look after yourself. Fitness has been a, a, a really big part of my life. And, um, uh, yeah, when you, you do it for probably 20 years straight at an elite level then you know you you can think well it's all over or you you get yourself into a a job that you sit down all day and gosh I found myself on the back of that sitting down chewing microphones like you guys here um, now for yeah well nearly 20 years when you when you you add the ABC cricket commentary and and the wide world of sports and the channel 9 cricket commentary it's a long time, so you, you've got to cha- change the approach to life a bit. Yeah, that's right. So what do you do, like, obviously if you're, you're sitting behind a desk, as you said, chewing a microphone, what, be, what would be some of the things you would recommend for people who are desk, desk workers to get out there and be fit? Like, what do you do for yourself? I do love a black coffee, strong black coffee. That'll fire me up in the morning. So, um, you know, I've, I've become almost religious in my pursuit of a good black coffee so I'll walk three or four k's I like to dump the neck top computer that three and a half pound blob stuck between our ears um, I like to put that on the page so I'll go three or four k's out find the coffee shop get my felt pens out um, um, yeah maybe my iPad and I'll spend an hour there just thinking about um, ideas and, and words and images how I might be able to flight it into cyberspace through all sorts of things and then I'll walk back. So I get my my walk, five or six Ks most mornings if I'm not chasing an aeroplane like today and I'll, um, I'll be able to get my head clear, do that five or six times a week and you're actually in reasonable shape. I'm, I'm, I'm not in Olympian form at the moment but maybe closer to 2020. Yes. Uh, now, speaking of ideas, Max, you studied architecture early on, and I also studied architecture. Um, and I know that you still have an interest in architecture. Are there any particular architects or buildings that you're particularly fond of? I love all architecture. Yeah, I was good at building cubby houses in the backyard um, yeah, as a kid growing up, and my kids wanted a treehouse, and so you, you give them a treehouse, don't you, with the rubber tyres and everything there. But um, I think at 13, I designed Maxie's Motel. was was pretty boxy. The old man made me a T-square and a, and a drawing board made out of western red cedar. And um, so I fell in love with a blank sheet of paper and uh, a love affair with, with, with pencil and, and, and coloured pen and paint. Then I, I went to RMIT and studied for six years and practised for another... 10 but you asked me uh, which are my favourites the Opera House is, is still a real standout um, the Gaudi churches in 
church in Barcelona is is pretty spectacular. Yeah, um, you know, I, I love the, the Guggenheim. Um, you know, in Spain, that's that's a great museum. And then some of the stuff in lucky enough to go to China with the Melbourne Footy Club in the last uh, three or four years a couple oh, of times yes. and, and what they did in, um, in Beijing for the Olympics. There's some bizarre buildings up there but very stimulating and exciting and uh, Shanghai, I think half the world's cranes were, were in action you know, in the last two years there. So much building going on yeah. and today's materials, much more lightweight mm. than you know, you look at medieval ages and it, and it was bluestone or sandstone that block just built one after another and a, and a big stained glass window but but now just massive you know, lightweight you know, glass and, and you look at soaring pieces of timber that you can shape and the CAD machines it's a, we made a mistake razor blade, rub it out <laughs> and burnish it with a rubber so architecture being one of the things that you would say you, you love I'm assuming you've seen a lot of sports stadiums which one architecturally do you love the most the MCG because I got 8 for 143 one day there against England <laughs> <laughs> and Bay 13 boys went berserk I mean this is humanity we're talking about here you could get any drink you wanted at Bay 13 and um, but I spent 40 years of my life at the MCG it's sort of been an axis I started out there as a, as a painter as a student of architecture at RMIT and then um, I did the scoreboard. So before I played shield cricket, I operated the old canvas scoreboard with the, with the bike pedals up there. Nothing like the electronic versions that they've got now. And I played footy there and I played cricket there, a radio commentary and then television commentary. So I love that one. But a serious question, the, the bird's nest in um, Beijing, I mean, given the amount of... Of, of bent and, and shaped organic steel that had to be in exactly the right place at exactly the right time of the year to actually anchor to the columns and the base and not fall over. I mean, I think it's an engineering miracle. Indeed it is. And Max, our kind friend Ben Waterworth, who's the host of our show, has left us some questions to ask you. And one is about your very, very famous moustache. And his question is, who has the best moustache to to come from Tasmania? Is it yourself or David Boone? Well, Boone's perhaps collected uh, more froth on his than (laughs) than me along the way. And, yeah, you could argue that Merv Hughes would probably be a a fierce competitor for that title. (laughs) But I I grew my moustache under extreme circumstances when I was about... 19 going on 20 it took me probably two to three years to grow up by the way <laughs> but I've never had it off and um, yeah I'm very proud of my moustache it's part of my identity and, and I am a mo mentor or a mo bro yes. and you look at some of the exercises that um, and you can only call them exercises because some of the guys <laughs> that attempt um, even with the mascara on the, on the upper lip it still wouldn't look good would it <laughs> but uh, yeah for men's health it's, it's fabulous that they go to the trouble and um, yeah, look, Bernie, Bernie, you'd have to be just about the standout, um, yeah, by a fair bit. Do you think the, with the world's greatest shave coming up that you'd uh, ever enter in and, and shave it off just for the cause, or would you just give you give your thumbs up to those who do? Well, I ask you a question, Josh. Who would be the better-looking guy with the head shave, Michael Clem or myself? I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to say Clemmy. <laughs> well. I'd, on that premise, I think if I had my head shaved, I'd frighten a dog off a chain on a dark night. So uh, I pre- 
The answer is probably no. <laughs> now, Max, Ben's next question. Should Ricky Ponting have stayed on as captain of Australia, do you think? No. I think we all have our time either in the team or in charge of the team. And uh, there's no such thing as a, as a rock-solid a rock for a long time team we've just come off a fabulous era where you know legends like Warney and McGrath and, and War and then you look at um, Matty Hayden and, and Langer it, I mean it was a fabulous time and a fabulous team and then Ricky inherited a great side and they, then they all retired on him and he's been a great player individually um, numerically right up there in the shadow of, of Tendulkar, certainly of his generation. But it was a, appearing that, you know, the end was nigh. He wasn't scoring runs. And then to see what he's achieved in, in this summer against India, it went reborn. Now, whether that was taking off the shackles, and he was very good with John Buchanan alongside him, not so good with, with Tim Nielsen, um, but Michael Clark. A lot of doubters out there, but you can only show by example. Yeah, follow me, guys, 300 and a 200, and um, win 4-0. I think he's now crossed that line, and Ricky seems pretty comfortable in the shadow being a, a, a mentor and um, a senior player offering a lot of stability in the dressing room. So I, I don't think there's a, a downside in, in Ricky. Um, not being captain anymore. Initially, it would have caused him some pain because there's a, hey, I'm not good enough feel about it. But the reality is we've all been privileged to wear the green baggie for a little while, some longer than others. And um, to have a, a career like Ricky Ponty's, you you would have to be so proud. That's right. And Ricky Ponting being being one of my favourite cricketers, he's, he's definitely one of the... I, I look up to him and the way he, he, he conducts himself on the field and off the field. And, and saying that... He's a good cricketer, and it's also I'm a, I'm an advocate for change, so it's good to see a change coming on. And now, one of the things we do here on the brink, and it's going to embarrass Sam just a little bit here, we uh, we impersonate those who we, we have trouble getting on the show, and and also those who we just admire. And one one of the people that we do do uh, impersonate is your good self. And uh, so I think you do a better Maxi Walker than Maxi Walker. Gee, the challenges <laughs> the bars put pretty high, Sam. How high is the bar here? Yes, well... You know, can I just yeah, preface what's about to happen because it, it will probably take me to the brink, on the brink. But um, no matter where I go, thanks to Billy Birmingham, the most famous 12th man on the planet, there inevitably is a better Maxi Walker than me. So, yeah, bring it on. I'm <laughs> wide open to... Um, it, you know, at one stage there, I was interviewing um, after a test match in Perth, Shane Warne and Mark Waugh, great fans of Billy Birmingham and the 12th Man Tape. And I found myself interviewing Maxie Walker on the left and Maxie Walker on the right with Maxie Walker's <laughs> voice in the middle. It, it, it was surreal. I mean, it's an overused term, but it was surreal. So bring it on. Oh, it's all Sam. Sam's the, the Max Walker of our show. So let's have, a, let's have Max Walker and Max Walker here on the brink. Yes, well, before I do that, I should provide a bit of background to my Max Walker impersonations. <laughs> Max, when I did radio training, they, they went through a, a number of exercises in which uh, you have to practice in order to warm your voice up before going on the radio. They didn't use me as an example, did they? No, no, actually they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> Why does that surprise me? There's no one quite like Maxwell Henry Norman Walker. 
what, what happened is they, they taught us these silly wailing sounds. So you have to, basically like a, a siren on a police car. So you have to, to go up and then down like, as in a... Uh, uh, type of, of sound I've in missed, order to calling. yes, in order to <laughs> clear your throat and, and warm your voice up so that you sound really good on the radio. One morning on the way to the radio station in the car, I was practicing this, and it, it started started going into a sort of a yes, yes, yes sort of motion. Yes, that's right. And I thought to myself, because I'm a massive fan of The Twelfth Man, I absolutely love his work, and I thought, that sounds like The Twelfth Man's version of Max Walker. And so I started doing my own impersonations of yourself on air. So are you a fan of Billy Birmingham and his work before I do my impersonation? Yeah, I, I could probably ask you when was the last time I was on, um, on Channel 9 as a cricket commentator. Is my question to you? I think it may have been the early nineties, correct? Yeah, twenty plus years ago. So, thanks to Billy Birmingham, people still think that that I'm on the commentary team. They say, Maxie, <laughs> you guys are doing such a good job. I haven't got the heart to tell them I haven't been on for twenty plus years. But so many people, as I said before, so many people listen to um, the Twelfth Man tapes. He's one eight arias now, more than Johnny Farnham and um, Jimmy Barnes and Kate Sobrano. So, and it's an extraordinary phenomenon in, in Australian you know, you know, radio um, presentation. And uh, so to me, I've written in my last book, Caps, Hats and Helmets, I, I wrote a, a complete chapter on the most famous 12th man on the planet, Billy Birmingham, a great head for radio. And, uh, and so it doesn't surprise me now to go everywhere and um, and and we hear it i've i've actually had people say gosh you won't believe i'm playing golf with maxie walker and and then i'll go on and and do the max walker welcome back to for two and when all of that stuff and then they'll say it's the worst impersonation of of max walker i've ever heard in my life and i'm just talking to these guys so i'm i'm going to be interested in how you go here yeah, you, this is this is heavy duty DNA. Is it is it the real thing or, or not? Oh, it's funny. Well, we should bring him on now. Uh, fake Max Walker, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, welcome, welcome back to the brink, everybody. Uh, Max Walker, it's uh, very nice to meet you. It is, yeah, Maxie. It's lovely to be here in your presence. <laughs> yes, and uh, you enjoying that coffee there, Max? Oh, it's um, yes. The tide's still in at this stage, so we've got five eights to go. Yes, and uh, do you think that, uh, Max, that I actually uh, make a convincing impersonation of Max Walker? I think I need to hear your kidneys rattle a bit more. You're, you're nearly there. I mean, you're somewhere around about the bottom rib at the moment, but if you can get those kidneys running around, and then when you really go guttural deep, it's about ankles. <laughs> yes, a bit deeper. Yes, yes, uh, a, a bit deeper, do you think, Max? Yeah, but you've got to use some other words as well as just yes. Well... Actually, Max, my my Max uh, doesn't say much more than yes. You see, well, yeah, amazing. You give yourself another 20 years of doing this and, and you'll be, the whole paragraphs will just tumble out. So, Max, given that you're talking about your own Max Walker impersonations, can you give us one? Um, yeah, I think there's a big crowd in today. Thank you very much, uh, Richie. We, we've got um, a little wind shift across the... Joel Garner, there he is. Huge, massive man, right arm over... Not quite left ear roll, but the bounce. <laughs> Look at the bounce. Oh, he's got him. Thank you very much. 
Very, very good. That's better than I could ever do, Max. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. Can you give us a big, long yes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, too, we were talking about the commentary for a bit. You said it's been 20 years since you've been on the commentary team. Now, can you tell our listeners, what's the real reason that you left the commentary box? Well, probably going to shock you, given what's on the 12th man tape. You want your job back, Maxie. Um, it's my eldest daughter was born 20 plus years ago, and I had to make a choice that, in fact, if I continued to be part of the cricket commentary team, and they then just started to travel to the West Indies and South Africa and England, and it had cost me one marriage, um, it was about to cost me another one. So I, I said, no, I'm be very happy to host Wide Sports, you know, for 45 weeks of the year, and. Um, and then happy to do the footy show on a Sunday. So we did the footy show um, on the Sunday morning with all those legends in their own lunchbox. It was, it was great. So, yeah, there's no mystery about it, but um, my daughter's 20, nearly 21. It's good to see the family is something that means a lot to you. And like for me, I can tell you, all members of the Brink, they we're all family men. Uh, I know Sam, is a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a proud dad, and Ben's about to get married, and... Like, Mine's on the on the way soon, and so it's good to see that family means a lot. But we're gonna have to wrap it up, and we're, we're gonna wrap it up with our, our famous five questions that we ask everyone. And the first one, it's gonna come as a bit of a shock, because the hardest questions that ever. Well, what about the last three? <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine. I reckon you'll pass. But Max Walker, are you a folder or a scruncher? A folder or a. A scruncher. A scruncher. I'm a folder. Yes, good answer, Max. I think all the best people fold, including our good selves. No, Josh is a scruncher. I tell you now, it works better. Too much detail, mate, at this stage of the morning. (laughs) Indeed. And, Max, this one might also take you by surprise. What is your favourite cheese? My favourite cheese? Oh, whatever's on the biscuit, I think, at the moment. I'm... uh, yeah, nice glass of wine, bit of cheese, mate. Um, yeah, when I was growing up, we only had one brand of cheese, and that was just cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so, just cheese. Yeah. Now, uh, when you were growing up, who was the celebrity crush? Who was the posters on the wall for Max Walker? Oh, the posters on the wall. Um, yeah, Ron Barassi. <laughs> I think that's my mum's crush, actually. <laughs> ah. yeah, the, the, yeah, well, how old's your mum? In her 50s, uh, early 50s? Oh, mate, got it covered. Beautiful. What, what about Olivia Newton-John? My dad loves her. Oh, yeah, Olivia Newton-John was going around in those days. Gosh, we had black and white telly back here. We, I mean, we, you know, geez, most of the stuff was a little, took a little while to get here. But no, look, I, I, I don't think that there were too many, um, geez, you're asking me to roll back the, the filing cabinet and, I don't know, who would have been massive... Bridget Bardo probably would have been big in those days, would she? That's, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely, vaguely, <laughs> vaguely. Now, Max, good answer. The next question, also when you were growing up, what was your dream job? Oh, I'd be an architect. Pretty easy there. It was your father that got you into that, wasn't it? Yeah, the old man was a master builder. He obviously needed um, to bring an architect into the business and he thought I'd be a walk-up start. The same name, Big Max and Little Max. You know, father, son, architect, builder. I mean, what more do you want in a in a little flat in Camberwell? That's right. And Josh, the final question. That's right. The hardest one of the of the five. Are you, when it comes to eating confectionery, 
Are you a, do you suck them or do, to savour the flavour or do you go straight a, straight into it and chew give, them? Give us, oh, confectionery, that's a big word. So, um, oh, yeah, give us a... give us Maltesers, how we go? Oh, roll them around for a bit and, um, yeah, milk them, milk them, yeah. milk them. <laughs> that's the way. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been it's great to have you and it's been a pleasure to spend the, this time that we've had with you. Yes, uh, thanks also from myself and our co-host, Ben, who unfortunately wasn't... Uh, being able to be here today. Uh, you're an absolute gentleman and we really, really appreciate your time and uh, our listeners uh, will really uh, enjoy this interview, I'm sure. And we'll be back with more on the other side of this break. Thank you very much. Welcome back and time to close it out. How's the excitement machine going? Woo. Woo. Tell Woo. me three facts about being excited. Go. You're happy mm-hmm. and you know it and you clap your hands. And you really want to show it. Brush your teeth. You brush your teeth. No. How did you feel about Winnipeg winning the Grey Cup? Jokes. Have you ever been to a Grey Cup party? Yeah. Do you remember? Here's a trivia. I actually looked this up. When was the last time BC Lions won the Grey Cup? Fairly recently. It was like it was 2010 or 2011, I believe it was. That's fairly recent. And do they ever come and play in Victoria, like no. a trial game no. or something like that? No. Have you ever been to a game? No. Would you go to a game? No. Do you care about the... No. Really? So why do you make me have to go for the BC Lions? I don't want to go for the BC Lions. No, that's the correct team to choose. You go for the BC Lions. But you don't even support them. Shh. Or do you? Like, if you had, if there was a Grey Cup and there was the BC Lions in it, you'd give a slight hoot, wouldn't you? No. What's a Grey Cup party like in Canada? You go to somebody's house and you eat food and you drink drinks what's, and the game's on. What's better? A Super Bowl party, a Grey Cup party, or an AFL Grand Final party? Oh, these are the same in my mind. But what sport do you prefer watching out of the three? AFL. Really? Correct answer. Is that Good. even a question? I'm really looking Football forward to... Football is boring. Grand final next year. We will be watching it Friday night at like 10 o'clock in Canada. So that will be pretty exciting. We can have late night food and drink and she wants to go. Uh, you can wrap up then. Tell her what people need to do. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We have a Twitter account. And subscribe on all of the relevant channels. And we only have one more full episode, normal episode to go before we wrap it up in the end of the year with some best of. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, Do everything that Mallory said. And we will speak to you next week, hopefully with a happier little Vegemite here. We all envoy. We all envoy. Our Vegemite for breakfast, lunch and tea. Our mamas say we're growing strong with every single bite because we love our Vegemite. We all enjoy our Vegemite. Puts a rose in every tree. We wish you all a lovely week. Happy December. And uh, until next week, please do keep sucking those oranges. Hobacargo and... Good Good night. Good night. (laughs)